Welcome back everyone. This is the firm analyst. I hope you've had a wonderful week. Last week we were talking a little bit about unexpected events and how lawyers take care of business when it comes to protecting against such risks. Well, I was the subject of a very unexpected train cancellation today. <laughs> Funnily enough, due to storm Isha and uh, this was just me coming back from Birmingham which is why this podcast might release slightly later than usual but nevertheless uh we're on air which is the most important thing uh but when i was traveling back i was also simultaneously doing my refund on the other train and you know these are just interesting things as a nerdy aspiring solicitor that i think about it's like you know how do they eventually deal with that and how do they make sure that you know the the other lines are able to take and accept my ticket etc what happens if they don't do that etc very interesting stuff if you're a nerd like me if you're not then i'm sorry but nevertheless we'll begin with today's episode and we do have three stories and i'm definitely going to just keep it short and simple today that i found interesting two of them are from bloomberg and one of them is from the global legal post um again that source that i keep telling everyone to subscribe to and i shall not keep repeating that but um just a mini reminder uh that this is one of the best sources out there for legal news and it's free 100% free i don't know if they're going to add a subscription to that but it's really important that you do sign up if you're interested in learning about what firms are getting up to so today we're going to go into um two government sort of based stories and one consumer story so the first is labor government essentially promising to help tech startups within the uk or just tech companies list and they're looking at really trying to commit to the idea of a stronger uk equities market which is again really really interesting and also very important for any international investors within the next 12 months considering that by then a lot of people have priced in some level of interest rate cuts um obviously given that inflation has slightly edged up this month what those interest rate cuts are going to look like if they are any god knows but we'll just have to see what happens and if that actually causes a rally within the uk equities market and then we're going to go on to a very interesting story from Google Global Legal Post about the first ever story I believe I discussed on this podcast which was the Packer versus others case and long story short this was a judgment delivered by the Supreme Court that essentially ruled that litigation funding arrangements are considered damage based agreements when they uh meet certain conditions and that is going to limit the scope of what litigation funders um can do in terms of providing funding to certain clients now they probably can't or they have to severely limit who they're actually providing the finance to especially in the competitions uh, appeals tribunal because one of the particular tracks i think it's either opt in or opt out um you need to have funding so that just completely change the dynamic in that particular arena and the government is planning to change that then we have the final story that we'll be going through which is 
about UK consumer sales reducing. And this is not really a good sign for businesses in the retail sector, uh, but we'll be looking to some of the reasons as to why this is happening and what this can mean for the economy at large. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So for those who don't know, this year is a very, very big year in terms of elections. Apparently, according to Time magazine, there are more voters than ever in history heading to the polls this year. And these are essentially, there's going to be 64 countries that are going to be holding elections globally. Now, this is very, very significant. And just to take a step back before I head into the first story, uh, as a bit of context why I'm explaining all of this, um, it's really important to realize why politics impacts the markets. And it's not just because, oh, well, you know, people make the laws, etc. Sometimes it can be an entire different attitude to a certain activity or to a certain sector. And that can completely change an, the economic climate within a good year or so or in a good few days. I mean, if you look at the mini budget, for example, that was supposed to be pushed through parliament by Kwasi Kwarteng and... Um, uh, Liz Truss, then this is one of those things that within a few days, it almost completely bankrupted the pensions market because of what it did to uh, the guilt markets, the government debt markets. So it's always important to look at politics. And given that there's 64 elections happening this year in terms of national elections, I mean, this is really huge. And I think one market that will be particularly impacted is um, project finance because a lot of project finance deals happen and they when they close they are going to be probably in construction for what 10 20 30 years sometimes depend if it's a really big road you never know these things happen in an ideal time frame it might be two years three years five years um, but sometimes projects do get delayed and things happen so you, there are some projects that will be running for 10 20 30 years uh, and possibly even just another 10, 20, 30 before they get handed back to the government. And there'll always be changes of government. So all of these clauses within the agreements need to be thought out. But this is, when we're talking about labor over here, we're talking about their attitude towards tech companies. And they are essentially saying that they are going to help them list. And the reason why we're seeing this sort of language being put out is largely because labor is actually ahead in the polls. So uh, Jonathan Reynolds, the shadow business secretary, has just gone to the World Economic Forum in Davos, and he's been speaking to several investors and, you know, banks, businesses, etc., trying to reassure them that this is what's going to happen uh, because it looks like they're going to get into power. So this is quite significant because in the past, for example, Labour has taken certain stances on certain economic issues. And for example, some banks might have assumed that they were going to raise taxes on the financial services industry as a whole, and that's going to impact banks. Uh, but this is something that uh, Labour has said that they will they don't have any intention of doing. There's also a massive discussion about the windfall tax that was supposed to be levied on the oil companies and the gas companies because of the massive rise in proper uh, in profits, and this was quite important because a lot of windfall taxes 
they they create uncertainty and companies just think that well if you're going to have a windfall tax every single time that this happens then is the uk really a place to be doing business so as as people may be voting their leaders into power businesses are definitely voting with their wallets to see where they're going to actually set up for business and this is a major concern um for the uk as well because think about it i mean as a government you want a very robust and strong taxable base so you want businesses to be profitable you want businesses to be making money so that you can also tax them as well and also so that you can use those tax receipts to uh, plow that money back into the economy and also with businesses coming to the uk for example there's this idea of you know these projects that are happening all across the country so this is a massive opportunity for things like public private partnerships so it becomes a very important thing to take into consideration and i think we need to definitely watch out for what's going to happen now specifically when we're talking about listing rules they the labor government has said that they are going to ensure that they do want that they do support uh the fca and any other regulatory authorities to make listing as easy as possible in the uk the uk has sort of been seen as one of these jurisdictions where when you list it just becomes a regulatory nightmare and a compliance nightmare for those companies and as a result the uk equities market has seen a massive exodus of companies essentially leaving for mainly the us where there's also a, a, a rosier view of equities as a whole so that's pretty much it for these labor stances one thing that we have also seen them talk about is the fact that they're not going to oppose removing a cap on bankers bonuses there's obviously been some discussion about bankers bonuses for a very very long time about whether or not these bonuses will encourage irresponsible behavior but it seems like labor is not of that view and as a result they're not going to really oppose any removal of a cap on these bonuses and if anything it does make the UK strictly from that standpoint a place that might end up attracting more investment bankers if that's the case and i think what they're trying to really do is to prop up the capital markets within the UK and the financial services industry because as you know there are several financial industries that essentially run out of london and new york so these include for example the syndicated finance markets and also just the general debt capital markets so a lot of bonds are issued on the london stock exchange and uh we have several listings actually and these are two cities new york and london specifically where there's a lot of that activity happening so obviously you have a lot of countries that are also involved with that activity but there is a special place for london and new york and that's why a lot of finance lawyers are qualified in those two jurisdictions so yeah it does become a, a very big consideration um when if the government is trying to win those votes from those particular sectors like financial services now the next story we're going to be focusing on has to do with a massive supreme court decision from 2023 that i spoke about in the first episode of this podcast so if you want to really deep dive into the judgment 
and what happened in that particular case, feel free to look or rather listen to that first podcast episode. I discussed everything in depth and I, I'm just going to do a brief recount of what the effects of that particular case were. So this was a competition appeals tribunal case and one of the key issues at hand was to do with uh, these opt-out collective proceedings. So essentially, these are proceedings where parties are considered as part of the litigation and they'll have to opt out if they don't want to be part of it, essentially. And one of the key things is that you usually get funding for a lot of these claims. And it's not just competition claims, but competition is where this was really starting to heat up last year and you find loads of different firms i think it was rpc and um hsf were doing a lot of work in this area last year considering a lot of competition claims and this was just something a bit of a hot area so this was really being fueled largely by litigation funders so for those who aren't familiar with the litigation funding as a concept it's basically an arrangement where someone will pay for your legal fees in exchange for getting a share of the portion of damages that you're entitled to. Now, the general position in common law is that these arrangements aren't expressly prohibited. They just happen to have been regulated over time by statute. And what that means is that when obviously these well, when these uh, pieces of legislation were being drafted is that they had a particular setup in mind. But even then, I don't think that there was much regarding litigation funding anyways. It's still a very new industry. It's been there in the US for a while now, though. But in the UK, it's still been developing over the last decade. And I think one of the first cases that it was used on, on or one of, let me not even just say first case, but a very high profile case rather, uh, one of the very very one of the uh, the most high profile cases that it was used on was the factor team cases so i think that there was some funding that needed to be given uh to be able to quantify the damages that were due to the fisher people um that were adversely affected uh by some eu legislation i believe it was in that case and now as a result the they were just looking at that particular situation and saying, okay, well, yeah, this is a type of funding. This was one of the things that was considered in this particular Supreme Court judgment as well. And they were just using it as evidence that, well, the UK has a bit of a history with litigation funding as well, um, considering that it was used in that particular case. Now, in today's world, this particular case had the effect of ruling these litigation funding agreements that were in use to be damage-based agreements. That's essentially where, for example, as I explained earlier, you uh, give someone uh, funds that they can use, or rather you fund their litigation, then you give them, I mean, they'll give you a share of the damages that they're entitled to. So these, I mean, the, the key issue is that damage-based agreements are subject to regulations, and if they're not within a certain type of form, then they're unfor- unenforceable. And that's what the Supreme Court said. So they said that they were unenforceable on that basis, 
And because of that, they weren't able to even take the claim before the competition uh, appeals tribunal because it had to be a funded claim. And in that case, they, they had to change the litigation funding arrangements or they would just consider them unenforceable. So this is a very big issue for litigation funding. Uh, there were several people that were quite worried about this particular judgment. But now we're seeing, once again, government taking a leading role and saying that they're not going to accept that this particular judgment is um, is going to stay the way that it is. They're going to try and change things as it is. And one of the catalysts of this was the post office scandal. Um, so you might have heard this. I talked about it in my previous episode. There were several post office um, submasters that were accused of fraud, especially false accounting. And what had happened was a lot of them had to fight their way through the courts to essentially uh, get their convictions overturned. And a lot of different people have now mentioned the role of litigation funding as a possible route for people to be able to achieve justice. So even if you're not, for example, getting damages, your litigation is being funded and that allows you to seek justice and use the court system as intended. So it's been a very, very big shift. And actually there's been a lot of support for these calls. And I think it's also important to realize why this is particularly important and why the government cares. It's not necessarily just because of the post office scandal, although that is a good reason, for example, uh, to want to make these improvements so that more people can get access to funding. The issue is, though, that London especially is such a huge forum for litigation. And this is something that for those who haven't really gotten to the LPC stage, you might not also understand unless you've done an international law module or international shipping, for example. But there are so many contracts out there that are governed by English law and they have the jurisdiction or they give exclusive jurisdiction to the courts in London to determine those cases. So there's, a, there's many different reasons for this. Obviously, because the um, the UK and specifically England and Wales in this case, so considering this particular element of law, they have very rich tradition of common law, several, several hundreds of authorities, easily accessible. You can see which judgments roughly like, you know, you can, most judgments anyway are available online. Just go into Westlaw, go into LexisNexis, this ICLR. There's so many places you can find judgments, etc. So it's very transparent. And then also another thing is the fact that you have, um, generally speaking, um, specialized tracks. So I think there's specialized IT tracks, I think, or is it construction? There's a specialized commercial track. There's different tracks in court, essentially, and you have specialized judges that look at certain agreements. So, for example, you might be finding even some judges that are used to dealing with disputes where you have an agreement that is being governed by New York law. And what happens is um, the jurisdiction is London so and this is by the way quite common you'll find this for some agreements especially finance agreements and the judges will just take expert evidence from 
an attorney that's qualified in New York. So this is just to give you an example of how powerful the litigation system is and how uh, powerful the UK is as a destination for litigation and specifically London and the same for arbitration as well. Um, but this is why the government cares and this is why this is very, very significant because if you're taking out litigation funding, you're essentially taking out the fuel that's been responsible for a large amount of litigation within the UK. And obviously, if you conduct litigation within the UK, law firms get paid. Um, you have several accountancy firms, by the way, that will get paid because they're doing expert evidence for a lot of these matters. And then again, you have a lot of consultancies, etc. This just and also just helps you in the UK feel safe doing business because you know that, okay, well, I can go to court and it's not necessarily that I'll be out of pocket. I can go and defend my business and not have to necessarily worry about being bullied by, for example, a massive conglomerate that just has deep pockets and let's say they breached a contract and you know, back in the day, you might not have even been able to go to court because you just said, well, I'm out of pocket and that's the end of the story. So that's what I think that they're trying to create for the the UK. And we'll have to see if this does have or cause a resurgence in litigation funding. It's not like litigation funding has disappeared. It's just adapted. But this will definitely be a very welcome judgment for a lot of litigators and litigation funders themselves. Now, let's head into the final story of our podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And this last story is quite an interesting one. And I think it's a very important one to discuss, especially if you're applying to firms, for example, like Foot Anstey, Freeths, Zanada, um, and any other firm that's re- that has a really strong focus on retail as a sector, because... This is a very important consideration, and by it I mean the consumer spending. So there was expectations for sales volumes to rise by 1.4% in December. So this was a very rosy look and saying that, well, December's a problem. Sorry, not December as well. <laughs> so you know I'm tired. Um, consumers are going to spend a lot in December, obviously, because of the festive season or people are just going on holiday. Um, so that's one thing I guess some people would have expected. I expected the same thing as well. People just tend to, especially towards the end of the year, just to have more time. Maybe they've gotten paid. They get their finally end of year bonus some, sometimes, for example, you just have, generally speaking, more money on hand depending on average spending habits throughout the year um, or at least maybe you feel more inclined to spend and that's why there was this idea that okay well it's going to rise by 1.4 percent but it was really pretty much the opposite and actually sales volumes decreased by 2.1 percent although they were higher than expected in November Um, so this is Again, all these stats are from Bloomberg, and I'm basing this off of a Bloomberg article as well. It's a very odd occurrence, but 
this is again according to some a sign that the uk is slowly entering a recession because there's been um obviously uh, this slowdown in spending now there's obviously a lot to unpack here like wh- what does this even mean it definitely means in most cases that the interest rate hikes are probably working and i remember we we talked about well if consumer uh spending slows then that might be able to ensure that inflation is eased which is true because that means obviously that for example if businesses like that are selling things whether it's services or goods uh but mainly goods then they're going to have less customers and that might reduce their sales um and as a result what's going to happen is that they can't for example hire the same number of employees so they have to cut the number of employees that they're hiring and that means that for example um there's just going to be less amount left to spend on things like investments you're going to want to save in times of difficulty you're going to want to ensure that you're keeping as much cash on hand as possible so you can meet any debt payments for example so there's quite a lot that this actually uh, goes into and that may lead to for example a drop in inflation and as a result a corresponding drop in interest rates uh, but again whatever happens we're going to have to wait and see if this is the case now if you look at some 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 of the reasons why there has been a drop uh bloomberg over here is stating a very interesting reason that i didn't originally think of but it makes perfect sense and it just shows how interconnected our economy is they're essentially saying that some of these in quotes big ticket spending items they don't really appear as much in this data and what's happening is that's also causing the consumer spending slow so for example if you're moving house um you may for example just buy a new sofa you might buy a new chair you might buy some new bulbs etc so you have some of these items and that's kind of in quotes a trigger for you to be able to spend and that's where some of these furniture houses will get the money from especially during this part of the season and i think even when it comes to clothing as well in december you just expect that for example you're going to buy possibly new clothes for your um family members for your friends because it's a time where people are giving gifts usually but apparently a lot of retailers bought stock and they weren't able to get rid of it which is very very surprising but that's also very concerning for those businesses and i'll get into some reasoning a bit more in a bit as to perhaps how not reasoning but an explanation into how some of these businesses will be affected but just stepping back once again and looking at some of the reasons for the slowdown it also just makes sense if a lot of people let's say are on mortgages if the interest payments have gone up you have less disposable income and you're probably not going to go on trips another reason uh, or, or not even just trips but you're going to you're not going to buy additional stuff you're just not going to spend your money as much you're going to try and save um that's the 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 theory behind it but at the same time i was going to mention this something that we tend to forget is weather 
and you'd be surprised how weather can actually really impact your economic outlook so for example i mean some 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 economic events are solely dependent on the weather being a certain type of way so for example imagine you have a ski resort and for some reason this is a very extreme example i'm pretty sure this doesn't happen and i hope it won't happen due to climate change but just say it doesn't it didn't snow that year or let's say it it wasn't as snowy so the slopes weren't really as good you can't really host a ski holiday for people who are interested in going skiing and that means that you're probably going to lose money that particular year equally so i think a lot of hotels a lot of businesses that were located specifically in the coast they were not able to really make money during the summer because it was really rainy so that impacted the earnings um for a lot of businesses that were waiting for those weather conditions one of them was also really retailer so i think i was listening to a podcast by aj bell um stocks and shares i think that's the podcast name and this was a while back but i just remember this they were talking about how some clothing retailers literally weren't able to meet their targets because it was just too rainy so you, when you're selling for example shorts people are not going to wear shorts if it's just raining like generally speaking and essentially that just means that it's going to be a very difficult time for those businesses so equally so um some of the uh, some of the weather in december um it's pretty normal weather um but apparently it's one of the warmer ones so that tells you a bit more about well um did people really need jackets as much etc depends on which side of the country you're on etc and businesses try their best they probably have specialist analysts to try and see well what are the chances that people are going to need x y or z but this is also really important for another reason uh just before i wrap this podcast up the one reason that i was talking about uh or I wanted to focus on as well is covenants we talked about this last week i think and i spoke very briefly about financial covenants and it was a very I mean if you're looking at covenants right now yeah and just as a by way of um sort of just recounting what covenants are the promises to do or not to do something um but let's say for example for financial covenants you have certain ratios that you have to keep for your business so for example it might be based on your earnings it might be based on um your earnings and if you'll be able to cover the amount of interest that's payable etc so if you have an event like this where consumer spending has gone down significantly you might actually be in a very tough position because unless your business has reserves or unless your business has the can can liquidate some things to ensure that they stay within the covenant you're going to have probably have some very uncomfortable discussions with your lenders about why you haven't met your covenant requirements and if you fail a covenant by the way just as a reminder it's an event of default in most facilities agreements although for bonds for example the covenants tend to be lighter so again that's another reason to to perhaps look at this a bit more closely it's also another reason why some companies prefer and actually 
people tend to prefer the debt capital markets. And this is just one of many reasons why um, you don't necessarily have these massive covenants that you have to look towards. But for most portfolio companies for that have been subject to an acquisition by a PE firm or just a general acquisition, the loan packages usually have some form of um, covenants and they tend to be a bit more, actually a lot more complex. So it would be really interesting to see how portfolio companies that are retail portfolio companies for these PE companies. It's going to be really interesting to see how they get along with this reduction in consumer spending. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And once again, to those who are going for assessment centers or if you've already had your assessment center, I hope it went well or I hope it will go well, whichever applies to you. And yeah, if you have any questions, if you're, I mean, yeah, feel free to message me. I'm on LinkedIn. And if you're on the TMC groups as well, feel free to reach out to me. Um, And I'm more than happy to assist you just with general interview tips, AC tips, and general commercial awareness stuff. I will drop one tip though. As usual, don't go into your interviews on the day of your interview, having not read the front pages of the main publications such as the Financial Times or just being just keep on top of the news especially on the day of your interview because I know even at my assessment center I was asked about commercial awareness stories and you have to just make sure that the story that you select is topical it's important to the firm it's relevant and it's not from two weeks ago so yeah I mean I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you all next week.